Traveling the Vortex. We've joined the Doctor as he travels the Vortex and arrive at episode number 438, which is a very crowded Final Frost Fair. I'm Keith. I'm Sean. I'm, I'm Glenn. And I'm Tim. Welcome, Tim. Hey, to the Tim. Yeah. So <laughs> listeners, you. listeners, this is the uh, elusive Tim that we've referred to on our podcast. Uh, Tim Harvey does uh, some stuff with our partner for Tardis Sauce. Um, he's uh, over at SciFiForMe.com and SciFiForMeTV. Uh, he does a number of things besides uh, Tardis Sauce with us. Tim, tell us a little bit about what you guys do over there at Sci-Fi for Me. Well, we're basically a news channel uh, overall, some commentary, and, and we have several different podcasts and video shows. Uh, I do a show called H2O with the founder of the site, Jason Hunt, which is both a video uh, thing you can find on YouTube under if you look up Sci-Fi for Me. Uh, and we also have a, it's a podcast, it started off as a podcast, and uh, it's primarily a podcast, uh, just with some video editions. Um, I also do a podcast which started off on Sci-Fi for me, and when when the site was on a hiatus for a year, uh, continued on called Zompocalypse Now, which is a, a Walking Dead and other horror-based uh, podcast I do with a gentleman named Dustin Adair, um, and I very rarely, uh, but often when I when when the opportunity arises, have a podcast with my kid called Family Movie Nightmare which is um, definitely not safe for work because my spawn swears like a sailor, and I personally think it's hysterical, but anyone who wants to listen should be warned. Um, but she's late to the horror game, and I've been a horror fan since I was quite young, and so we are have a multi-generational look at... Um, various different types of horror. She's much more plugged into things like the creepypasta world and, and that sort of thing, more of the internet-based horror, where I'm much more of an old-school, you know, classic monsters, classic slasher films, that sort of thing. It kind of brings a like gen nice generational perspective to it. That sounds cool. Oh, yeah. It's interesting. Um, and I do a lot of writing for the site. Unfortunately, you know, I have fun things like today, my, my writing for the site was the doing the obituary for Rutger Hauer, which was not a warm and fuzzy feeling. Um, oh, it's kind of sad. So, uh, so, yeah, sometimes there's that kind of thing. Most of the time, it's a lot more fun. Yeah. Um, I, to be honest, I have been listening to uh, the H2O podcast since about the beginning of the year, and I'm almost embarrassed to admit that I did not realize that the H2O, and correct me if I'm wrong, is probably because both of your last names start with H. It is basically yes. <laughs> <laughs> Very clever. Yes, and it's it's an interesting show because we um Jason and I have a lot in common but we're very very different people. And so um you may have noticed uh, from time to time that we butt heads. And um uh no. Yes. <laughs> uh, we butt heads off channel a lot more than we do on when while we're recording. Um, but uh, yeah, he's a good friend of mine, and and it is, it it makes for some interesting uh, discussions. But we're both old school science fiction fans, and so we have a lot to talk about. Um, we find ourselves running the risk of becoming the grumpy old men 
Uh, <laughs> we feel like from time to time we ought to be, you know, up in a up in a box watching the Muppets down on stage, uh, telling just, the kids to get off your lawn. Pretty well. That's that's yeah. That's actually a Jason thing. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we're both uh, very much engaged with, of course, uh, everything that's going on in the comic comic book world, the the books and audios and films and all this stuff. We just love it. So it's it's a lot of fun to do the show. I think what I like about it is that you guys just span so many different genres over there. And uh, it's just very informative and very interesting to hear all of the different opinions from from all of the different programs that you guys do over there and all the different articles you guys write so i would encourage all of our listeners to go over and check it out that's uh, sci-fi for me.com and uh, of course you can also find them on youtube which i don't know the exact address but i know if you go to sci-fi sci-fi for me.com you that's a, a number four um you can find uh, a link to the youtube page as well so very good well what do you guys have uh, kind of ignoring uh, the rest of you guys? What'd you guys do this week? I worked a lot. <laughs> I'm very tired. I'm kind of in a zombie state right now. Tim could do a whole podcast about me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it might be more engaging than a lot of the walking dead shows. Oh, wait. Oh. 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 Anybody watch anything this week? We watched Shazam. Oh, I still have not got around to see that. I need to do that. I like that film. It was pretty good. Yeah, um, and it's fun. Oh, it's a lot of fun. yeah. There, there's a lot of fun there. There's it's a weird, it's a weird mix though. They could have easily gone very, very dark with it, considering the villain and the mythology of the story, and that part of it is kind of dark. But then it's got this great balance of humor to it too. So I really I enjoyed it. Definitely on the right track for DC. It's the lightest thing DC has done, and I think they actually did a good job of capturing sort of the innocence of the character of Captain Marvel. The name of the character is Captain Marvel. Licensed <laughs> anymore. Yeah, I know. It's <laughs> copyright uh, arguments and, and lawsuits. But uh, it's, you know, the, the character has always been a fairly innocent character in the bet. I mean, the stories have been innocent in a way which has always been something that you don't see a lot in comic books and the fact that they were able to capture some of that in in the film was actually really really nice especially considering dc's grimdark track record with film yeah Mm -hmm. part of what sells it so much is zach levi's just utter charm that he oozes the entire time (laughs) he is so fantastic in that role it's almost perfectly tailored to be him How about you, Sean? Do you watch anything? Uh, I caught a couple of documentaries. I don't know if I, I don't think I had talked about Spielberg last time, uh, which is a documentary about uh, Steven Spielberg and his <laughs> filmmaking. If you, if you hadn't guessed, uh, and it's uh, it's pretty cool. It's a very in depth uh, look into uh, the man, the myth, the legend. And if you are a, a fan of his works, it is very much uh, worth looking into. And then I saw Life After Flash. Mm. which is the uh, Sam Jones. What have you been doing with yourself after Flash Gordon? No, you're welcome, by the way. Yes, thank you. <laughs> and um, it's, uh, it's, it's one half the making of Flash Gordon and the other half what Sam Jones has been doing since Flash Gordon. Yeah. Isn't that wonderful? 
And it is, it, it, it really is wonderful. And the, the, the making of flash is fantastic. Cause a lot of that is stuff I've not seen. Um, they have footage from, you know, behind the scenes and, um, it's just absolutely amazing to see Brian Blessed and four other Hawkmen in full costume <laughs> being hoisted on wires in front of a blue screen. And you kind of think to yourself, oh, yeah, they did all of this for reals. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's, it just makes yeah, it all the more impressive. The, the practical effects. Yeah. Um, and then, but of course, my, my, my favorite part is Brian May um, when they're talking to him about the, the theme and he's sitting at the piano and he, he launches into it and begins playing it. And he goes through the first refrain and then stops. And you see him as he actually has to physically pull his hands away from the keyboard. And he looks at the, at the camera and says, I have to stop because he'll keep going. <laughs> Just, you know, not that any of us would have complained, but that's, that's the power of that song. <laughs> So it was good. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a fun documentary. So, and you found it on, uh, uh, Amazon. Actually, I found it at the library. Oh, you did. Okay. But it is on Amazon. So yes. Yeah. That's where I saw it. Yeah. I added it to my queue to try to get to at some point. Uh, Tim, did you watch anything this week? Um, I did, although not as much as I would like the Kansas city fringe festival is going on right now. And I'm actually mm-hmm. acting in a show and filming and editing the film version of one of the live productions, which is it's an immersive show and the audience is really not going to understand what's actually going on until they see the film, which is an <laughs> interesting thing to do. Um, and I'm having a blast acting, but it is also a little nerve wracking because I haven't done it in eight years. I haven't been on stage in eight years. And um, it's a series of monologues. Um the show is called Six Degrees of Defecation. <laughs> <laughs> and for all the fact of what that sounds like, this is actually uh, a show that was, this is the third year of shows developed by a friend of mine, Bree Henderson, who had a medical condition um, that involved um, ultimately having a piece of her intestine cut out and some surgery, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera, because she couldn't control her bowels. She's a comedian. She's very, very funny. And so she found the humor in what is a potentially embarrassing, you know, hugely embarrassing situation. But this led to other people telling her their stories. And so this has turned into a series of shows about the finding the humor in something that we all find horribly, horribly embarrassing. <laughs> and so uh, the last, uh, it's a rotating cast. So I'm not in every, every show this week uh, for this production, but the one I was just at on Sunday, um, five minutes before the show starts, Brie comes up to me and says, oh, hey, the person whose who's, uh, story your monologue is based on is in the audience tonight. <laughs> and I said, why would you tell me that? <laughs> Who gains from you telling me this information? And uh, I was kind of hoping that I'd get a chance to, to meet them after the show, but I, I didn't. I didn't. They, they left right after uh, hopefully not because they were traumatized by my performance, but uh, <laughs> but it's a blast. It's a wonderful show. But so I haven't watched a lot of TV this week. But I have been w- watching this new Star series, The Rook. Mm, yeah, I've heard uh, a, good, a lot of good things about that. Yeah, it's a weird show for me because I love the book it's based on, and it's an awful adaptation. <laughs> it is literally one of the worst adaptations of a book I have ever seen. And yet they've managed to make a really kind of interesting spy thriller with superpowers show that 
only has the names of the characters in common <laughs> with the source material. So it's so strange. I'm going to write a series of reviews about it because it's on one hand, I can review the show and say, this is a really cool thing. On the other hand, I can sit there and go, this is a terrible adaptation of this character. <laughs> this is a butchery of the intent, you know, and it's such a strange thing for me, but it's, I'm, I'm fascinated by the show because overall it's not perfect. But overall, it's a pretty, the, you know, the British do spy thrillers well. Mm -hmm. They've got a fantastic track record of doing really good, solid, uh, contemporary spy television. And this is one of those shows that works on that level, and yet is such a bad adaptation of a book I really like. <laughs> <laughs> it's very straight. Well, what about you, Glenn? Have you I didn't, watched I didn't anything? I didn't watch anything this week, but I got a hold of actually. I I, I got I bought it because uh, it just released recently. Um, the Big Finish twentieth anniversary um, edition, which is the Legacy of Time, and uh, it is fantastic. It is everything you want. It's everything you want in a Big Finish audio Doctor Who audio. And it's really almost everything you want in a quote-unquote multi-doctor story, anniversary story. It is so much fun. It's broke up over six stories, about six hours long. Each story is an hour. Um, but it's got um, all of the big Finnish doctors that have been in big to finish. Minus the war doctor, there is a John Hurt size hole in, in the middle mm. of it. But um, but it's, it's got uh, river song teaming up with Bernie Summerfield. A lot of these we, we kind of previewed when we made the announcements. Um, but this is the one that's got, uh, Peter Davison's fifth doctor with Jenny, the doctor's daughter, um, which is a lot of fun. Uh, Sylvester McCoy and, and, uh, Sophie Al uh, Aldred as uh, seven and ace, uh, join the countermeasures team in both hmm. the sixties and seventies. And that's all I'll say about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, although uh, it, it does um, lend another quasi-excuse to the unit dating theory. And uh, nice. it's got the Sixth Doctor and Charlie, which it really interesting is we had just recently, probably a month ago, reviewed the uh, Sixth Doctor, first Sixth Doctor and Charlie story, which had uh, D.I. Minzi. She returns in this, and their story takes place just a few, from Charlie's perspective, just a few weeks later which oh, I thought was nice. a neat, neat, bit, neat, neat bit of serendipity. Also, not to mention the fact that we had gotten a, a countermeasures audio under our belt. So I, I, this time I was at least familiar with the team. <laughs> <laughs> or more familiar. I mean, we obviously know them from Remembrance. but um, And then uh, uh, the Eighth Doctor is in the uh, Bernice and um, uh, River Song story. And then uh, Lala Ward and Louise Jameson um, team up. And they feature that story features the fourth doctor. So they're, they're all there. There's some brilliant, wonderful surprises at the end that I did not see coming. Um, the only thing that I will say is I read the cast list and the surprises were not revealed. So that was a wonderful thing. And I just, I oh, thoroughly enjoyed it. I recommend anybody to buy it, listen it, to it, download it. Um, and uh, we're going to try and get it on the schedule here soon so that we can review it. And I, I found, you know, even with us catching up on Big Finish, uh, I didn't feel like I was lost at any time. So there, we, we've got enough familiarity with the characters and the events up until this point. Um, probably the Gallifrey stuff is the only thing I felt like maybe I wanted to 
be a little more familiar with, but fortunately there there's not a lot of callback to the Gallifrey materials, but the fact that Louise Jameson and, and Lala Warder together, I think was kind of the, the nice little capstone for including that nod. So hmm. I well, can't wait to get to that one. All right. Well, should we move on to news? I hear that in your voice, Keith, like, you know, hurry up, Sean, get it scheduled. <laughs> like I not, might not wait on Sean to get it scheduled. Uh, you know, <laughs> don't think I didn't hear that. Oh, what I know you did. What do we got in news, Keith? Uh, speaking of big finish, uh, they have announced that there's going to be a Donna Noble box set. Donna Noble kidnaps. So it's her on her own without the doctor, kind of like what they've done with Rose coming out in May of 2020. I'm excited for that. I think it's, uh, I, I really like Catherine dates, Catherine Tate's take on uh, Donna. And I think that, that I'm like the three audios that she did with the 10th doctor in the recent series that they did. So I think I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to hear those. I'm, I'm the name more interested in these than Rose. Uh, this is called Donna Noble Kidnapped. I have a bad feeling about this. <laughs> I, I feel bad for the kidnappers. Ding. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, bring it on, but ding. Donna Noble, Noble saving the world on her own. <laughs> and of course, Jacqueline King will be reprising her role as Donna's mother in the box set. And apparently she's going to get her own companion. Ooh. Fun stuff. Yeah. What else do we got? Well, speaking of the countermeasures team. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad I could segue us today. <laughs> Both of these segue easily. Uh, Candy Jar Books have announced an, a new two-book novel based on the countermeasures group. That appeared in Remembrance of the Daleks. First one to be published in 2020 called Birds of Passage, written by J. Frank Andres. Andreas. Andreas? I think it's Andreas. Andreas. That'll be a lot of fun because I think they've done such a magnificent job with the uh, pre-unit team. And I think that it'll be nice to see what they can now turn around and do with uh, Group Captain Gilmore and his team. I think that'll be a lot of fun to listen to or to uh, read, read. So, so the, the, the series is kind of edited by Andrew Cartmel and our good friend, Andy Frank Allen. Oh, cool. And Ben Aronovich has some input also. Well, so I would hope so. Coming so from his the, characters. <laughs> yeah. Coming from the, uh, the great minds behind the characters. Very good. All right. Well, let's move on to feedback. First up in feedback comes William. William writes, Hi guys. I had precisely the same impressions you three voiced when watching Shada as part of Doctor Who the Animation Collection about a week or so before listening to episode 434 of your podcast, Shada, hopefully for the last time. I voiced spoiler-free observations about this iteration of Shada to a longtime friend in Whovian, and she was likewise amused that there was yet another take on this classic story. I shared with her how most animated character likenesses, and it struck me as way above average, a comment I cannot honestly make about other animated episodes. I also mentioned how animated scenes link to live-action scenes to tell a more complete shot of story. 
That part was cool, and I agree with comments made during your podcast about how transitioning between animated and live action was pretty smooth. Your discussion about the present-day voice of Lawl Ward and Tom Baker made me smile, specifically about how they haven't aged or changed over time. I walk the Ma and Pa Trail on a regular basis, covering at least 3.5 miles per day, and listen to a lot of audio along the way. I've noticed changes in a number of Doctor Who voices via Big Finish and BBC Audios, and it's funny how at first those changes can throw you, but then seem to evaporate the longer you listen. This is particularly true of Doctors 5 and 6. I met Colin Baker, my doctor, in 2016, and after getting his autograph on a print I'd made from my collection of Doctor Who magazine, one I'd created with a scan of a cover he appeared on, he commented about how another con and a young boy stepped up to the autograph table, pointed at the range of glossy photographs which depicted the sixth doctor back in the day, then looked at Colin and asked, well, when's he going to get here? (laughs) (laughs) I met for the first time more than half a dozen classic era actors at that convention, including Anarchy Wilkes and Deborah Watling. And until that moment, my memories of both companions were in black and white. To me, Tom Baker's take on the Doctor seemed immediately complete the moment he stepped out of the TARDIS after his final wardrobe change at the beginning of Robot. However, his voice seems a bit more well-rounded since his return to Doctor Who in audio form. Nowadays, the fourth Doctor is a bit bigger on the outside, which I believe accounts for the change. Plus, he's had decades to refine his delivery. I'm a bit bigger on the outside these days as well. Although, unlike Tom, I'm not concerned about my hair turning gray or white as much as I'm concerned about it turning loose. (laughs) (laughs) finally let me encourage your listeners to visit their local public library as i plug mine for the wealth of doctor who materials it has to offer that's how i was able to see the animation collection while there are a limited number of classic dvd dvd episodes available since the 20 2005 reboot every season of new who is in circulation as are a large number of print and electronic books many works by douglas adams are also at the ready Looking forward to your next podcast. Until then, happy travels. Blue Box Bill McCann the third. Thank you, Bill. We appreciate it. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Bill. Good to hear from you again. Next up. Next up is Jamie. Jamie writes, Frostfire and the 13th Doctor Volume 1. Hey, guys. Really short one here. I remember listening to Frostfire and enjoying it. It was a good Vicky-centric story and did well with the two-actor narrator format. It wasn't the first companion chronicle I heard. That would be the next one, The Fear of the Daleks. As for the 13th Doctor comics, I enjoyed this set. A decent story that flows well with really good art. I found it rather enjoyable. Looking forward to your reviews and discussions. Jamie. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you, Jamie. And of course, we'll uh, return to uh, some of Jamie's uh, walking through the Vortex um, <laughs> back catalog uh, feedbacks on a later show. So. Uh, this one actually is timely. Yeah, that's right. All right. Well, yeah. Should we move on to our reviews? Frostfire. Okay. That's what we're starting with. Dr. Order. (laughs) As always. (laughs) 438 episodes and he still hasn't got that. (laughs) Vicky has a tall uh, tale to tell, but where does it start and when does it end? Ancient Carthage, 1164 BC. Lady Cressida has a secret. She keeps it deep in the cisterns below the Temple of Astaire with only one flame for warmth, and it must never get out. 
Regency London, 1814 AD. The first Doctor Stephen and Vicky go to the fair and meet the fiery dragon, a novel, the novelist, Miss Austin, and the deadliest wind weather you ever did see. But which comes first, the future or the past, the phoenix or the egg, the fire or the frost? Or will time freeze over forever? Bum, bum, bum. I enjoyed this one. I did too. I did three. As did I. Keith, you want to go first? Uh, sure. Uh, <laughs> I remember when we reviewed Thin House, I saw, I marveled at the setting and how I'd never heard of this sort of thing. And then yet here's another story <laughs> set in the same exact time. The irony of that is this is my second time round with this audio. And when I saw Thin Ice, I, I didn't even remember that this took place during the Frost Fair. And I was the same way. I was like, oh, yeah, the Frost Fair, that's kind of cool. I never, and I think it's because the visualization of it coming was a lot better than imagining it and not really kind of understanding, you know, so much that they were actually down on the ice and that this, these fairs happened there. So I was, <laughs> I even had a uh, pre, pre-existing um, experience with it and still it was brand new to me <laughs> for thin ice. So. Well, and the way this makes it sound isn't like it's portrayed in thin ice because thin ice implies that the river froze over this almost makes it sound like ice backed up on the river. Yeah. So it's kind of a conflicting tale of how the frost fairs actually happened, but I, I really enjoyed it. I like the setting of the frost fair and all its exploration, meeting Jane Austen and her interactions with Vicki and Steven and the doctor. And then this idea that somehow a Phoenix egg is here and it's, kind of it's not hot it's cold it absorbs all the heat into it to try to hatch and then trying to stop it and then the the secular nation notion of the story of how it wound up in vicky's eye and then was taken back in time with her to carthage and then gets put into a flame and then eventually gets you know back to where it was that it's a bootstrap paradox that i think works really really well I would agree. I think, uh, like I say, second time around, and I listened to this probably about five or six years ago. It may have even been longer than that. It's when I started doing the Companion Chronicles. And I remember liking it back then, but I think my appreciation for it this time around was I have now since uh, watched the reconstruction of um, the Mythmakers, which is the story that Vicky leaves in. And the fact that she ends up leaving uh, with... uh, Oh, I can't remember the guy she she met in that. Troyvis. Troyvis, yeah. When she lives with Troyvis, and you know where she ends up in that was um, a easier transition for me into this one to understand where she's telling this story from, and sort of the life she left with the doctor. Um, but I like how they set it up with her in the dungeon talking to this entity and uh, recalling this story because I think I've always said that's a, a great formula for these companion chronicles where it's everything from the companion's perspective. The can- companion gets a chance to tell a story of an adventure they had with the doctor. And I think it makes for a great setup. It's always been a great format. They've kind of played with that format over the years and, and done new different things, but it always seems to work really well that it's from a storytelling perspective because as we listen to big finish audios, most of the time they're full cast dramas. And so all of the parts are covered in these cases, you know, the, the companions are often into 
you know, Fraser Hines credit does a, a tremendous job uh, emulating the second doctor, but, but coming from the perspective of a companion telling a story, you're really forgiving of their, you know, interpretation or their delivery of the doctor when they're doing lines like that, or even Stephen. And so I, I, I really like how the, the setup for this kind of really set the standard for the companion chronicles. And it's, it's a nice little story, you know, going back to the frost fair, uh, discovering this, um, ominous being that you know is 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 sucking the warmth from everything and possessing people and running around and just the the allusions to the to the cold and you know you just it, listening to it every time it was near you could almost feel you know the cold of <laughs> what you know, what it would might have felt like to them um and i think it's really good and i i really like the fact that the companion chronicles also add that second element of always bringing one other voice actor in for at least one part and kind of playing off of that. And I think that always kind of um, broadens the scope of the storyteller uh, genre to have almost sometimes a um, somebody to tell the story to besides the listener. So, and it's really nice to check back in with Vicki and, and, and see what happened to her. Uh, although, you know, albeit very brief because most of the story is set in her story of the frost fair and, and the events that happened there. But uh, it was it, it's it it's really kind of cool to to understand where Vicky has come you know has gone after these you know adventures that we saw on television and uh, I agree Keith I think bringing Jane Austen is is kind of a historical figure works really well um, I like how progressive she is and uh, how forward thinking she is but also then not taking her the character out of the era that she is of and I think that that worked really well as as a story um, element as well. One of the cool things about it is it plays with the idea of who's she telling the story to. It's not as simple as she's just telling the story to somebody or writing it in a journal. They tie it in to the overall story in a way that I think is really clever and hadn't I hadn't noticed them do before in any other companion chronicle we've listened to. And the fact that they did that on the first one, I think is almost set the bar a little too high that no, from here on out, anytime they're telling a story, it's going to tie in somehow. And obviously it doesn't, but I, I think that's a really cool way to go about it. They have revisited that uh, dynamic and that, that, that technique in other companion chronicles, even companion chronicles that we've listened to. They've kind of, they've done that where they've tied in, the present story to the telling of the story as well. Yeah. Tim, what'd you think? I enjoyed it a lot. I listened to, uh, I spent four years as a courier. And so I listened to a ton of audiobooks. So of course the, the one person telling the story is, is very much a, uh, very familiar format for me. Obviously a lot of, a lot of, well, there are certainly full cast recordings in the audiobook world. Most of them are a single narrator, a single storyteller. And so this was um, uh, very familiar in a comfortable way. Uh, I also found it very interesting how much there's a recurring theme, and we see this a lot in, in Doctor Who stories overall, that weird sense of the former companion, where however they were, became a former companion, the impact of the Doctor's travels on their lives are not always particularly good in the long term. For all that, that she's happy with you know, the man she's with, her sense of loneliness, her sense of disconnection, her sense of not really having anyone to talk to except 
an alien creature who, given the opportunity, he would, you know, well, kill her. Um, I mean, there's there's something about this, and we've seen it, and of course, we saw it most vividly uh, when Sarah Jane got to interact with the 10th Doctor. And you have this, you know, once you've gone on the ride with the Doctor, once you've gone on these journeys, wherever you end up is always going to be a little too mundane. And then, of course, you have someone uh, like, you know, Vicky, who is so very much out of the element that she experienced. She's from the future. Mm-hmm. She's, not a, she's not a 20th century or 21st century uh, human. She's from the 25th century, and she's traveled with the Doctor, and now she's in this very, very primitive world, assuming a role of a historical figure who does not have a happy ending in history. And is not widely considered, you know, is uh, pretty much considered to be an example of an unfaithful lover. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is, uh, you know, uh, Cressida is not necessarily known for being, or Cressida is not necessarily known for being, you know, one of the more popular characters of, of the Trojan myth cycle. Um, and so it's really kind of, you know, playing with these things is I think it was really, in a weird way, kind of tragic and beautiful at the same time. Um, you know, there's, there's this thing that I keep, you know, every time a new doctor rolls around, I keep saying, can we have Susan back? Cause I want that original, you know, the original one left behind. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and Vicky is kind of close to this. I mean, she's, you know, first doctor companion, somebody who, who chose to leave someone who, um, who made a decision and, you know, here she is in basically a dungeon talking to an alien creature that, you know, isn't her friend because she's lonely. Uh, and it played beautifully. I mean, her performance is great. Um, you know, uh, Maureen O'Brien just did a wonderful job with the yeah. performance. Uh, and, mm-hmm. you know, a, um, the, the emotion in her voice, the way she told the story, all of the delivery was, was fantastic. Um, and you can, I think to some degree, you can tell that she's a writer herself because uh, she's published a series of mystery novels, hmm. and uh, and certainly done other acting things aside from from Doctor Who. But you know she's got that she's got that storyteller quality in her voice that some really really talented actors don't. Uh, and so it's always a it's always wonderful to listen to someone tell a story in a very very entertaining and engaging way. And I think she did a very very good job with that. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. Yeah, surely did. I think the other thing that I liked about this was the um, kind of how it, it bookends uh, Vicky's story as being alone, um, you know, being rescued. The the colony ship that she was on crashed on Dido in uh, uh, the story. What was the story? that The rescue. Yes, the rescue. And, of course, she was there with, um, oh, what was the guy's name? Was it Bennett? And, you know, so it wasn't a, it wasn't an isolation thing, but, you know, she goes from, um, this situation where it's just her and one other other guy stranded on a planet who, and she sort of expects that's how it's going to be to leaving the doctor and by, you know, choice and then becoming lonely and isolated again at the end of her story, which I think was kind of a nice little, uh, bookend of, 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 uh, Vicky's life. 
I don't know if that was intentional or not, but that's something I picked up on. Sean, what'd you think? After that uh, amazingly in-depth and insightful review, I don't know that I have much to add to it. <laughs> um, Tim's uh, Tim's going to make me look bad. Uh, I enjoyed it. I I, I thought it was uh, I thought it was a, a, a very good piece. As Keith said, I thought it it was an amazing start. Uh, such a strong kickoff to the series and to come to the table with something kind of new and untried and really knock it out of the park the way that they did um, was, 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 was truly outstanding. As always, I find that especially with the older series companions uh, that are from earlier in the run, when they're doing the first or second doctor um, and it, it, second doctor is almost a kind of a, because it's always Fraser Hines and that's kind of a cheat because, well, he, he, he is the second doctor. I mean, he nails it. Um, but all of the first doctor's companions managed to do a very passable first doctor, at least in the mannerisms and the, the cadence and the rhythm of his speech. And, uh, it's also a complete lie. It, it's it's a version of the doctor that I think they wish they had traveled with. Not necessarily hmm. the version that we see them traveling with. Why do you think that? Um, this one especially, the first doctor was almost softer than than when we meet him with Vicky. Not that he's not that he's harsh. Obviously, by the time Vicky comes into the first doctor's life, he's already mellowed out quite a bit um, after Susan has departed, which we kind of talked about uh, at length previously. That once he doesn't have his granddaughter to worry about, he lightens up. And Vicky, in a way, is the surrogate granddaughter because she's this young woman and she's from the future and she has, you know, many of those same attributes. So I think he kind of always looked at her as uh, a substitute Susan in some ways, but there's a, a, a whimsical wistful nostalgia in a lot of these people's voices that seems to come across when they're doing the first doctor that, Maybe it's just the experience of being able to to bring him back in audio. Maybe that's more of it than than necessarily the um, well, you know, putting him up on a pedestal, as it were. But I uh, see. I think I I disagree with that statement because I I think Vicky's the reason for the Doctor softening. In in, in my honest opinion, um, mm-hmm. yes, I agree, I agree that he is still a bit prickly, um, but he has you know he that burden is off of him of having to protect and take, you know, take care of his granddaughter because he does leave Susan behind. Um, but I think, I don't know that we necessarily know when this is set, but there are a number of stories. I mean, it goes all the way from the rescue to the myth makers. And I think by the time we got to space museum, um, time meddler, those stories, I think, he was a much more whimsical, lighter, softer character. So I think if this story were placed toward the end of uh, Vicky's travels with the Doctor, I can completely see this characterization that is given of the Doctor at that time. I don't think that by that time he was all that prickly. I think he was a lot softer. I think he was a bit more whimsical. Um, I think you know a, a great example of that would be 
um, the Time Museum. Uh, even by the Romans, though, I mean, he's he's having fun now that because of the tone and nature of that story. Every, it's supposed you know, to be a comedy. Yeah, so. <laughs> he, he, he is more whimsical. Vicky's more, you know, upbeat. Um, it's really kind of Barbara who, you know, carry the brunt of, of the tragedy of that story. But, um, you know, I think I, I think I would disagree because I think this if you were to place this story later in her adventures with a doctor, I think it's it's very much in line with how the doctor seemed, you know, by the time the space, space museum, the chase time meddler all came around. She, she mentioned specifically, um, it's fairly recent when they pick up Steven and she name drops the monk and, um, that would have been the the mechanoids. That would have been the chase. And then right after that is time meddler and then galaxy four and then the myth makers. So, I mean, it's within those four stories. I think the doctor has lightened by that time. But, um, yeah, like I said, maybe, maybe not. You know, I will say that there were times when I had to remind myself that it was the first Doctor. Because it, I didn't actually have a whole lot of, and again, because it's, it's Vicky's story. And she's, I mean, the Doctor, the Doctor is a supporting character in this story. Mm-hmm. Um but there's, you know, there's certain things that you tend to, certain like iconic kind of moments of each care of each version of the Doctor, and I didn't have a, whole, there wasn't a whole lot of that here for me. Um, so I mean, very easily, I think you could have actually put in the second Doctor into this particular story and not had that much difference in how Vicky was describing what the Doctor was doing, uh, which yeah. I thought was kind of interesting to me that it didn't. I mean, I was suddenly going, Vicky's the first doctor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> I can see that perspective because, and I think they've done this a lot in very early um, Companion Chronicles where they do tell the story from the Companion's perspective and there is a lot of Companion-heavy moments in them, rightfully so, because, I mean, it's Companion Chronicles. Um, I think later, in, in, and certainly in some audios, I think that they maybe tell the doctor's story a little too heavily for it being a companion chronicle. But I think early on, the doctor is very, very little in a lot of these stories. I mean, he's there, you know, to drive whatever narrative, you know, has to be there because that was the time they were traveling with the doctor. But um, this one is very much centered around Vicky and her perspective of what was happening. I mean, there's, we've got a very large amount of what's going on with her and Jane Austen before Stephen and the doctor show back up to, try to resolve the situation. So there is a lot of that where it's coming from just the perspective of the, of the uh, companion and the companions on her own for, for quite a bit in this story. So I, I can kind of see maybe why it feels that way because there's not a lot of doctor in this story. Now, Tim, I'm curious. Um, you mentioned that you had listened to a ton of uh, audiobooks. Had you listened to any big finish before this? I've list, I listened to um, early Doctor Who audios early on. So the Doctor Who Unbound mm-hmm. audios were things that I listened to quite a bit when they first came out. Uh, and there's this giant gap in my knowledge with Doctor Who audio. Uh, it has been one of the... Uh, oddly enough... Uh, well, okay. The bottom line is that I was trying to get the most bang out of my buck with Audible. 
And so, <laughs> and a lot of, a lot of, so basically I would, I would tend to get the longer recordings. I was in a car for eight hours a day and every day. So, you know, getting the 10 hour, 12 hour, 16 hour, 20 hour audio books was kind of the focus. A lot of Doctor Who audio doesn't have that kind of length. That's right. No. And so opportunity, there was this incredible opportunity there for me to listen to a, there's a, there's a lot of Doctor Who on Audible. Um, this is not a plug for Audible. They don't pay me any money. <laughs> if they would like to, I'm willing to become a spokesman. I'm a fan, but we will need to work out a business arrangement and have a contract. Um, but uh, so unfortunately, there's this giant gap where I really could have filled it with tons and tons of Doctor Who audio, and I didn't, purely for economic reasons. Mm-hmm. And um, although I did get, and now I'm drawing a complete blank on the name of it, uh, is it Engines of War? The... Mm-hmm. Uh, the War Doctor, yeah, mm-hmm. War Doctor. Mm-hmm. I've got that one, um, and I uh, because as we, you know, listening to this, I was saying to myself and going, okay, come on, you've got a you've got a handful of credits in in your Audible account, just get one. <laughs> and and as much as it pains me, of course, because it isn't John Hurt, I think just listening to the to the beginnings of, it, I think it's Nicholas Briggs, I think is mm-hmm. doing the voice. Mm-hmm. Um, he does a really good job with evoking John Hurt's performance. You know, you can, if you, if you listen clearly, you, you, you can tell it's not actually John Hurt, but it's close and it feel, and it, the intonation and the vocal patterns are there. So, so I have, I have in many ways, this is a whole new area of Doctor Who for me, which is great. Uh, because have, have you seen a lot of Vicky stories on television? Um, yeah. Cause I think at this point, the only, huh, the only things I haven't seen, obviously aside from the missing episodes, etc., I have not seen the the latest version of, of Shada. I'm um, having seen multiple other versions of it. Um, I, I I guess I felt kind of the way you guys apparently felt because I haven't like felt the urge to rush out and and watch it. Um, but yeah, I've over the years I've probably made my I think. I think the only gap I've got is, I think, oddly enough, I think there's some Colin Baker episodes I haven't seen. Oh, okay. If it's out there, I've watched it at least once. And I found the first Doctor to be an interesting character just because he's, um, you know, at the time he was the gruffest and most, you know, grumpy mm-hmm. uh, of the Doctors. Uh, and then, of course, Capaldi came along and sat there with, you know, hold my tea. Um, <laughs> Tim, I wanted to point out uh, Engine War is not a big finish. It is the um, audio dramatization of the um, book that was written by um, oh. uh, George Mann. However, you're right. It's Nicholas Briggs doing the narration who is with Big Finish. So right. that, that is Nicholas Briggs doing the voice. So that's there's, probably, my, there's my confusion right there. Yeah, that's probably what, what did. Now, I will point out that there is a, uh, there's two three uh were doctor box sets that john hurt did do with big finish so i would recommend getting those after you're done with engines of war yeah i'll I'll have to and i think that there's three um, isn't there is there three box sets maybe i didn't listen to i think so okay and keith this is your opportunity to plug uh whatever the hg wells one that he did and the what didn't john hurt do an hg wells for Big Finish. Oh, The Invisible Man was fantastic. There you go. I knew there was one of them. 
Well, you know, I've sat there and I've looked at the I've looked at the Big Finish catalog more than once as I've pondered at various points in there and just diving in. And I've always been impressed with the range of what they've done in terms of diving into not only you know bringing back a lot of the actors who've played the parts, whether it's been the Doctor or a companion, but also diving into some of the characters. Uh, and giving them the kind of depth that the TV show can't in some ways. I mean, you know, the, you know, the Davros and the Cybermen and, and dealing with, you know, going into the Gallifrey Chronicles and all these things where you're, you're able to tell these larger stories uh, in a way that I think a lot of fans, especially in the Great Hiatus, you know, we're getting out of like the Virgin line um, and, and, you know, the, when the BBC got the light, took the license back, um, that sort of in-depth kind of storytelling that you unfortunately can't get in an hour-long program. Yeah, right. Exactly. There are four box sets for the War Doctor. Four? I thought yep. I listened to everything. Maybe I've got some out there that's still listening. The last one was Casualties of War. Well, see, I did listen to that one. I must have listened to all. I think you listened to all of them so close together that You're they right. just blur. <laughs> they're, they're so they're so good. Oh my, they're they so are. good. That's some of my favorite big finish. I've been telling myself that I really need to sit there and, and buckle down and just dive into the eighth doctor because I'm uh considering that he's the longest running doctor in terms of actual amount of time spent playing the part. Mm-hmm. And when you consider how short well, little screen time we've actually got with the character and yet how much audio, because I, I was a huge fan of a significant chunk. There were some definite missteps. I was a huge fan of the eighth doctor novels. Mm-hmm. Um, overall, you know, there were, there were some definite, what are they thinking moments <laughs> uh, with some of the titles and they completely did bizarre things with uh, Lawrence miles and uh, the, was it Lawrence Miles with the uh, Faction Paradox? I think yes, it was Lawrence yes, Miles. Yes, yes. yes uh, I think you're right. Faction Paradox. Uh, there, there's a squandered opportunity in the book line, but um, I, I really enjoy that character of the Doctor, that particular mm-hmm. incarnation. And so I've been sitting there and going, you know, got to get the Eighth Doctor audios. Got to get the Eighth Doctor audios. Well, it's it's even They're better hearing. Working. It's even better hearing Paul McGann uh, just fall right back into the role after the movie. Um, he does such a fantastic job and I, that's what I like about big finishes. It's, it's been able to give people like not only Paul McGann a chance to kind of really develop and expound on the eighth doctor, but I think Colin Baker who got, you know, shorted on television also, I mean, albeit he's got more episodes than McGann, but, uh, his doctor, I think I've, I, I got a really, uh, a, a new appreciation for his doctor and the way that he was able to develop that in audio. And it really actually, when you go back and watch the Colin Baker years, uh, it, it, I really enjoy them more because I think that I understand the doctor a lot, a lot better, even, even down to the fact that, you know, upon regeneration, he tries, tries to strangle his companion. So, <laughs> All right, fellas. Well, we've got one more thing to review on this particular podcast, and that is some shifting gears to the 13th Doctor. Um, she got her uh, comic line starting last year, and we are going to review the uh, first several books in that series, which have been culminated in Volume 1 in a um, collection. A new Beginnings. A New Beginning. 
Um, we're also going to touch on, which unfortunately we apologize to Tim. Uh, we've got a physical copy of the uh, free comic book comic that we passed around. Tim didn't get a chance to read that one, but he is caught up with us on that on volume one. So should we knock that one out first? Because it doesn't really fall anywhere in between. Uh, I think the stories that are that we're going to review in the volume one. So maybe we should do free comic book day uh, and knock that out quick yeah let's just go ahead and get uh yeah, that's fine sure it was okay <laughs> it was a free comic book day story yeah, I think I, I, I i've set my expectations pretty low for these yeah. things just well, because it, you know it's, it's short it's and taste sweet. yeah it's short and sweet there's not a lot of dialogue it's uh it, you know the doctor shows up at a, at a fair with her companions and and well you know graham gets kidnapped i am thinking the right one yeah Grabbing his kidnapped, and she ends up rescuing him along with a lot of other people. <laughs> so that's pretty much the synopsis the of the book. The end. <laughs> pretty much. Um, you know, it's along the same lines of, of the same artwork. I don't know uh, without it right in front of me, although uh, Sean tells It is right in front of you, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know if this is the same uh, artist that's, that's doing the series, which seems to be very consistent in the ones that are in volume one. But I think the artwork is is really good. I think it captures the the imagery of the doctor and the companions very well. As tipping my hand, I think they do in the uh, volume one series as well. Is it Rachel Stott? Oh, and you're gonna make me reach over there and get it, aren't you? Hang on. Oh, do you want me Rabbit. to come get it? Is that what no, that no, what the no, comment no, no. was for? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that that two feet uh, in front of you is a. Uh... Yeah, but your couch is so soft, and I'm sunk way back in. Um, Marshmallow couch. <laughs> the name? Of course, Rachel Stott. The, they don't rid list her on the front. Why not? If my couch was black, it would pretty much be the couch from Terror of the Autons. <laughs> <laughs> black and plastic. We, we could totally film Glenn being eaten by this couch. <laughs> Oh, it's too dark in here to read. Oh well. <laughs> oh well. I agree. I thought the, uh, the the artwork in it was consistent with uh, where they went with the the actual thirteenth Doctor volume, which which pleased me. Um, the 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 artwork in the in the Titan Comics line, they they've managed to find artists who really seem to kind of um, match the personality of the Doctors. Which I've said before, the uh, the Eleventh Doctor comics are very kind of uh, bright and uh, a little more cartoony than, say, the uh, the Tenth Doctor ones, which um, have a little more of an artistic slant to them. Yeah, yeah. and uh, this one kind of straddles that line as well, where it's it's a very bright, vibrant, and yet um, it, it it doesn't range into the. Um, Ridiculousness. Yeah, caricature, if you will. Yeah. Abstract. Uh, Georgia Spasito, I believe, is the artist of this one. She is listed on the uh, on the volume. Okay, so, so. she did she did at least some of she did that, at least that some would of be it. why it looked familiar. The art anyway. Well, um, yeah, so there's that. You know, it's a freebie, so yay. Yeah. <laughs> It's um, and it it does what it, its purpose is is to make you want to read other comics of that same line, and it does make me want to read more Thirteenth Doctor comics. So it works. Yep. All about the freebies. All right. Well, let's move into uh, Volume One of the ongoing series. 
Um, now a new beginning. I do have a synopsis. You do? Okay, go ahead. The first collection of the 13th Doctor's comic book series sees the newest incarnation of the Doctor, along with her new companions, Graham, Yaz, and Ryan, trailblazing through time, tackling vile villains, avoiding an intergalactic alien civil war, uncovering the truth behind a secret human time travel experiment, and doing battle with an alien hoarder obsessed with amassing the greatest treasure in the history of the universe. With this new Doctor in charge, one thing's for certain, there's never a dull moment or second to spare, even if you are a Time Lord. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. So, correct me if I'm wrong, we reviewed, this was one of the zero issues for The Road to the 13th Doctor, right? No. So, we did not review this? But we not reviewed this, not the, the whole we set, but the very first we, story? We reviewed, like, the first two issues when they came out. Okay, but those were collected in this, right? Yes. Yes. Okay, that's why it was familiar. I read through, I started reading this thing and I kept thinking, wait, we've already done this. What are we doing? And I think it, it was at the, what would have been the cliffhanger for the first one where the time traveler guy reveals that, you know, he's hijacking the ship. And then from then on, it was all really new. And then that's why yeah, I, I think that was that. the cliffhanger think, for part issue two. Because that was. That was part of the road to the doctor, though, wasn't it? Because no, I, yeah, because yes, let, hear me out. Because road to the doctor had all three doctors encountering him and not being able to pull him out of the vortex that he was trapped in. Each one of those elements had a piece in there where the white glow shows up and the hand comes out and they all yes. try to pull him out. Then oh, that was the Road it. to the Doctor series, right? That, that was Road the, to the that Doctor. Was, that yes. was the three episodes. And then this was episode, or an episode, issue one and two then of the 13th Doctors? Well, I think this uh, spans one through four, but we were sure previously reviewed. Are you sure it's no, not zero through three? Because I know there no, was a it's zero. one through four according to Imdaba, or to oh, the okay. TARDIS wiki. Oh, well, it's TARDIS. Uh, I think... Zero. Oh, zero is the free comic book. Yeah, zero zero. Okay, never mind. That's where I saw zero zero. <laughs> <laughs> but but you are right in that the the plot setup started in the thirteenth Doctor. Yes, and uh, that we had reviewed issues one and two before. So okay, I got you. Well, let's start with Tim this time. Tim, what'd you think? Uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, I've always been a fan of the Doctor Who comics, all the way going back to. Um, my reading uh, Tom Baker comics that made their way across the pond back when I was a teenager. And um, although, oddly enough, I thought this felt a lot like let's remake the Battle of Ranscore of Kolos mm. with a budget bigger than we could do on TV. <laughs> and, and to be honest, the, epi the, the epi actual episode looks great. I mean, it's a, it's a beautifully shot episode. The effects are actually quite uh, quite good overall i thought but it the, the story beats in many ways are very very similar and i was and it the more i was reading it the more i was thinking this feels familiar and i'm like well wait a minute this is kind of I mean, it's it's um, there's a certain okay there's a certain model to doctor who stories anyway mm -hmm. um and and we we love we it's one of the things we love about the the stories um very rarely are you getting, you know, something that you're going, I've never seen anything like this before. And sometimes when Doctor Who experiments, um, 
it doesn't necessarily work. Mm -hmm. um, found footage and POV <laughs> things are not necessarily lend <laughs> themselves particularly well to Doctor Who stories. Uh, but um, yeah, I enjoyed it. I thought it was I thought it was uh, a fun ride. I it gives it. Um, I have a soft spot for villains who have really, really terrible motivations. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're, they're not world conquerors. They don't want to destroy the universe. They don't want to, you know, get revenge for how they were, you know, mocked as a child or whatever it is that, that, that drives, you know, the megalomaniacal villain. Mm -hmm. This is just like a greedy thief who just, you know, wants more stuff. Um, and I actually enjoy that kind of character popping up where it's just like, you're just a reprehensible person. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, your goals are really, really shallow. I recognize this kind of villain because that's, you know, we're more likely to encounter that kind of villain in our real world than right. we encounter, you know, the supervillain. Mm -hmm. um, or would we even recognize the supervillain if we did? Um, so there's something about this kind of villain which I find really enjoyable. Uh, and also the fact that this is the kind of villain with, you know, that plays well off a character like the doctor, because the doctor's like, you know, <laughs> don't, what? you don't do Why? that. <laughs> what is the Especially point? Someone like the 13th doctor. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, and I think that again, with like, with an expanded form like this, you get a chance to give the, the companions more to do, which is, I think one of the, uh, the complaints about the, the the series right now is that there's so many people in the TARDIS that um, it's hard to necessarily give everyone their due. Um, and uh, a comic book series where you've got multiple issues where you can spread this out gives everyone a little bit more to do. I'd, I'd like to see more of these characters anyway. I'd like to see a companion chronicles with, you know, these guys. Let them go off and have their own, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, a focused yeah. episode on them with the doctor in the background or, or something where, you know, you get a chance. Cause I mean, there's so many things um, about these characters that could be fun to expand on, but no, I enjoyed it. And, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm as an old school comic book fan uh, with an art degree. Um, I have a tendency to be really critical of um how characters often appear in the comic versus how they appear in the real world. Likenesses um, can often be um, less than ideal. There were a lot of uh, fourth doctor comics where the scarf and the curly hair were your defining factors. And uh, depending on the artist and this, I thought they did a pretty good job of actually capturing the likenesses of the actors, which is always nice. I agree. Yeah, I thought the art in this is phenomenal. Um, back to what you said about the 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 villain, I think that the, somehow they managed to take a villain that you know a lot of times in in Doctor Who, and especially when you're doing comics where you kind of, as you said, have a big budget, uh, you can visually do things that you can't do on television because of you know the constraints of of time and money. But I think with a villain like this, you kind of sometimes fall into the trap of they're not being high stakes for what's going on. And so what I liked about this is they they kind of strike the balance with having the one doctor who has been, you know, um, given this this virus or shot or whatever she's been giving 
that she has to receive the antidote each time by putting her in a captive state with this and forcing her to have to basically work for this guy in order to survive. And then the threat of then adding that to her partner when uh, they become, you know, very belligerent and they're, they're not going to, you know, kidnap people and, and, and that kind of thing. I think it sets the stakes just high enough in order to pull this off without having to do this, you know, world ending uh, theme that a lot of times they, they, they kind of build in Doctor Who and they, they sometimes seem to set the, 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 um, they seem to set the uh, bar very high for uh, you, what the next guy is going to come along and tell a big story about. And so this one kind of tempers it, especially early in the run, while keeping the stakes high enough to make it interesting and make the villain interesting enough. And that's what I thought I, I took away from it is that it really it's a fun story. Um, it does it, a great job of capturing the voice and the the character of the companions and the doctor all along while pacing out to, uh, you know, a, a, it's not a world ending story, but it is a fun, enjoyable, captivating story that keeps you around for the whole thing. I agree. I, agree. I, I thought it was a story that had, um, had me fully engaged throughout. Um, the artwork was, uh, was pleasant and, uh, and, and matched the, the, the characters, uh, especially the likenesses, which as Tim pointed out, is something that uh, w- when you're dealing with a licensed property, if you don't nail that one, it really can rip you out of the story. Um, and and second most importantly is the voice of the character. These people have to say things that I would expect the Doctor and companions to say. They have to say them in ways that I would expect the Doctor and companions to say them. And I thought uh, all of that was done exceptionally well, especially Graham. Uh, I could very much hear Bradley Walsh's voice as I was reading the comic. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. his, his little asides and, uh, and worrisome thoughts as uh, the story progressed were, were just right there. Um, you know, the plot wasn't, uh, you know, as Glenn said, it wasn't earth shattering. It wasn't uh, a world ending, but we've also got kids in danger. So that kind of automatically bumps it up a notch on the heinous meter mm-hmm. as, uh, as far as your villainy goes. I think the plot also is in line with kind of the format and scope and stories that were told during her first season. So it matches really well in tone and flavor of Jody's first season. And I like the fact that the MacGuffin of rescuing Perkins winds up being the MacGuffin to defeat the villain. Mm-hmm. I like the circular nature of that also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting way to um, serve justice to a villain in this. You don't you don't quite know what to do with a villain like this because, yes, they're you know slave trading or they're capturing people and keeping people as slaves. They're also you know human trafficking and forcing people to you know uh, go get these trinkets for him. But ultimately, you know, you don't raise the penalty for somebody like that to say death or, but, but how do you stop somebody from continuing to do that? So I think the resolution of his punishment works and it takes it out of the hands of the doctor having to serve that punishment and putting it in the hands of, of the, uh, uh, the scientist uh, doling out that justice that, you know, that, or, you know, that, that counter to the injustice that's been served to him and, and his partner. So I think that played out really well as well. 
There's a moment in <clears throat> a moment. It's a, <laughs> it's a comic book. It's a page. It doesn't move. Uh, but there's an image <laughs> is what I'm, what I'm actually wanting. Um, that you know, the, one of the overarching themes of of Jody's doctor has been to be kind. Mm-hmm. And there's this, uh, a panel where um, there is you know they've gone they've got the cages with the aliens. And they are, you know, looking to free them. And uh, the, you know, they're going down the line. And Ryan is kneeling outside the cage. And there's a little alien. It's like half off panel. But it's got its hands on the bars. And he's just got his hand up against and. And he's holding the bar, but it's touching the alien's tentacle or hand or whatever it is. And he's saying, "Don't worry, we'll get you right out." Mm-hmm. And you think about this. This is a you know these are these are three ordinary humans. They are they are the audience surrogates, as all companions really are, and they are but they're just ordinary people. And in the course of their time with the doctor, here's a young man who has just decided that he is perfectly comfortable walking up to a cage full of aliens and basically touching one and, and trying to reassure it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was one of those moments in the comic that captures what this doctor is generally trying to say with mixed results, I think, in the season. But overall, you know, this idea that kindness is a superpower. I would um, agree and I, in that situation, also there there'll be a lot of times where somebody that's telling a story will you know have that moment of coil where you know oh it's an alien I don't you know it just they could have so easily had Ryan you know make some sort of comment or that would have taken you out of that moment of be kind and they didn't do that and I thought that that was good because it really um, kind of shows that the doctor has already influenced her companions in a positive and good way. And I think that 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 kind of plays out with that scene as well. Excuse me, that image. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's easy to do. It's easy to do. <laughs> I almost hate to say it, but in in some regards, if this had been a televised episode of the of the first thirteenth uh, Doctor season, I feel like I would have rated this certainly in the top half of the season. Mm. The problem is, is they would have knocked it down to 50, 55 minutes and we would have lost a lot of the detail. Right. Yeah. Because unfortunately, you know, the, the, and this is, you know, this is certainly isn't something that we just see with the 13th doctor. This has been something since 2005, the Tennessee to not tell stories that arc across multiple episodes. There mm-hmm. aren't that many two parters. Um, and I think this really, uh, if we're going to, if we're going to have one complaint about the modern Doctor Who is that sometimes it, they don't give the stories enough time to breathe. Yeah, but on the flip side, that can sometimes be a blessing because uh, oh, that too. occasionally what will happen is they will drag a story. We find this with classic Doctor Who is no matter how good the story or the concept of the story is, Sometimes it will drag out too long and it feels like it's being paced out and there's been oh, sure. a lot of filler added. And so I think it, you kind of have the good and the bad with the short form storytelling of 
a single episode or a two-parter in, in some of the previous ones since 2005, you do get that opportunity to um, be a little more concise and not bore the, the viewer or the the reader with the story, which I think we've experienced in some of the um, previous Doctor comics that have, that Titans have been have been running. That occasionally we'll come across something where we're like, well, this piece didn't necessarily be in here, but because they're trying to hit a issue number by the end of this run, they kind of you know crammed that in here, and so I think that could have that could easily have happened and could easily happen with the Thirteenth Doctor's run as well. But I think this one did not do that. I think this one paced out really well and did have just the right enough room to breathe and make a very good story. Oh, I agree. Yeah. yeah, can't argue with that. Ditto. All right, guys. Anything else we want to uh, talk about? The I'm looking forward to uh, volume two. I'm looking forward to to going on and reading Thirteenth Doctor. I think they've uh, hit the ground running with it, and uh, it it looks and feels like what we're familiar with with the show. I think that that's the important thing is the familiarity. I mean, just despite what you think of individual episodes of the season, I think overall they've struck a certain tone. And I think that the comics are touching on that, as 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 Tim kind of alluded to. It really kind of feels like it, you know what we we've seen, and that that compassion and that uh, theme that they've set up in the series as well. So the, the the comic team is certainly in touch with what they're doing on television. And I, I think to the Titans' credit, the fact that they've kind of dropped the other lines to focus on this line more is mm-hmm. why it is so much better than, and in line with what they've done on TV than previous runs have been sometimes. Yeah. That's certainly true. All right. Very good. Well, Sean, what do we got coming up on the schedule? Well, coming up on the schedule next week, we are delving into a companion chronicle or not a companion chronicle. A, um, what do we call those? <laughs> it's a companion chronicle. Companion Chronicle, yeah. Is it? Oh Who's no, uh, Companion Companion Archive. Companion Archive. Yeah. I knew oh, we had Finnish, a name. Finish calls them Companion Chronicles. We That's call right. them Companion Archive when we do yeah. our piece. See, I knew we had a name for them, but I couldn't remember what it was. <laughs> oh, I'm tired. Um, we're doing a Companion Archive uh, next week on Sarah Kingdom, the first of what will probably be a trilogy if. I've got my facts and figures figured correctly. Um, yes. Well, good. There it is. <laughs> I, I, I won't. I won't worry about the math. Thanks, Glenn. <laughs> um, there are uh, three parts to it. We're going to be doing the Outlaw Planet, which is uh, a comic, I believe, from the Dalek. No, Outer it's Space. a short story. It's a short story from the Dalek Outer Space book. The Destroyers, which is a Big Finish Lost Stories from uh, the Second Doctor box set. And then Sarah Kingdom's Space Security Agent, which is also from the Dalek Outer Space book. These three will kind of form the the first part of our journey into um, taking a further look into her. So, Very good. Keith, if people want to contact us, how do they do that? Well, if you're on our website uh, to download the episode or just checking it out, just go to the send us feedback tab and you can fill out the form and it will come directly to us. Or alternatively, you can send it directly to feedback at travelingthevortex.com. And of course, if you want to support this podcast, uh, you're welcome to do so by clicking on our Patreon link. 
All of the uh, money that's donated to this show goes straight back into this show so that we can bring you more and more episodes in the future. And we want to thank those people that are already supporting us. All right. Well, Tim, I want to thank you very much for joining us week this week. And uh, again, if you're, uh, you know, haven't done it already, be sure to check them out over there at sci-fi for me. And uh, we've got a show that we do um, on a mostly weekly basis uh, <laughs> with, with Tim over there called Tartar Sauce, where we do actually a little more of this, um, but you can actually see us discuss it. And we kind of, uh, we kind of try to range in some topics that we don't necessarily cover on the show, uh, but we're kind of running the whole gamut, and that's kind of a new adventure for us. And I think we've got ten episodes in the. I think yeah, we've got ten episodes Something out now. Like one, that, one, yeah. Just, yeah. one just released today, as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, we're in the middle of uh, another a, a review of the Thirteenth uh, Doctor's first season, and uh, that should be wrapping up pretty soon. And then, uh, of course, we've got a lot of other great ideas and plans so yeah tim thank you very much for joining us and and helping us cross promote the uh the uh projects that we work on well thank you guys for having me i really really enjoyed it well very good and we'll uh, try to get you back on this yeah. program because it's 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 a lot of fun to talk to you and get a, a fourth person perspective uh, um on this podcast so happy to all right, very good. Well, we're going to go around the table one more time tim just to, to warn you um and, uh, if that's going to do it for this week until next week i'm glenn I'm Sean. Oh, I think we lost Keith. <laughs> oh, you can say I'm Tim. Well, I'm Tim. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to lose one more ending of this, too. Cheers. Good night, everybody. <laughs> Thanks for listening. <laughs> I'm just going to leave that in. <laughs> <laughs> You have been listening to Traveling the Vortex. Doctor Who and all of its associated programs are owned and trademarked by the BBC. No infringement is intended or implied.